0: This is Labor Know Your Rights Podcast. I'm your host, Dave. This episode is brought to you by the National League of Justice and Security Professionals, where the members come first. Contact information can be found in our show notes, including our toll-free number, where you can leave a message, ideas for future episodes, or tell us about events, campaigns, or victories in your union please check out Life on Record. Labor International Union of North America, LIUNA, PCOC found that organized crime had documented relationship with at least 26 labor international locals, three district councils, and the international union. Organized crime exports its influence in LIUNA principally through top officers who are associates of organized crime Angelo Fosco, IUNA general president from 1968 to 1975, whose father, Peter Fosco, was an Al Capone associate and Angelo's predecessor was closely associated with the Chicago outfit. In 1982, Fosco and Tony Accardo, boss of the Chicago Las Cosa Nostra family, were tried and acquitted for defrauding LIUNA's health and welfare funds. PCOC asserted that Las Cosa Nostra also controlled John Serpico, vice president and an important LIUNA figure in Chicago. He admitted that he is a friend or personal acquaintance of virtually every important organized crime leader in Chicago. He was also active in politics. He received successive gubernatorial appointments to serve as chairman of the Illinois International Port District, according to the PCOC. The outfit used LIUNA international officers to gain access to Chicago mayors and Illinois governors. One example of such raggateering when the commission questioned Vice President Serpico about John Picarato's duties as a LIUNA business agent and organizer he could not list a single contribution to Local aid. Piccarotto could not remember having done anything for the union, did not know anything about union's collective bargaining agreements or pension plans. The structure of LIUNA's governance made organized crimes control easy. It was nearly impossible for an opposition candidate to be elected to a union office because LIUNA's executive board members were elected on a nationwide basis. Cosa Nostra used threats and intimidation to keep members from running for office. PCOC alleged that General President Angelo Fosco personally threatened to kill a potential challenger in an intercepted conversation. LIUNA's International Secretary, Treasurer, and later President Arthur E. Cola, told a colleague that LIUNA would always be controlled by the Italians. The International Longshoremen's Association, ships entering port, no matter what time of day or night, need to be unloaded and loaded quickly. Delays are expensive, even ruinous. Thus, the longshoremen have enormous power over shippers who are extorted for labor, peace, payoffs, Labor racketeers also enlisted port employees to facilitate cargo theft, solicited illegal labor payoffs, and extorted stevedore companies that load and unload seaborne cargo. The international has done little to disturb La Cosa Nostra influence in its locals. By 1937, Cosa Nostra was the primary power on the New York Harbor, when Anthony Anastasio, aka Anastasia, took control of the six new york harbor locals his brother albert was the head of well-known murder incorporated gang and boss of crime group that later became known as the gambino crime family under anastasio organized pilferage strike insurance kickbacks and loan sharking on the piers reached new levels Anastasio delegated control of the New York City locals to various organized crime members and associates. New York State Crime Commission of 1953 reported on labor racketeering in New York City's ports led to the creation of the New York, New Jersey Waterfront Commission. In a case involving the commission, the U.S. Supreme Court observed for years, the New York waterfront presented a notoriously serious situation. The New York Crime Commission reported that the skullduggeries on the waterfront were largely due to the domination of the International Longshoremen's Association. Its employment practices easily led to corruption and many of its officials participated in dishonesties. The presence on the waterfront of convicted felons in many influential positions was an important causative factor in this appalling situation. The situation did not improve. The PCOC charged that Cosa Nostra completely controlled Teddy Gleason, the ILA president from 1963 to 1986. In the New York, New Jersey port, the Gambino crime family controlled the ILA International Union. The Gambinos controlled the New York side and the Genovese controlled the New Jersey side. Anthony Scoto took control of ILA Local 1814 in 1963, a son-in-law, until 1979 when he went to prison and as a capo in the Gabino crime family. The FBI launched UNIRIC, an investigation of ILA racketeering in ports of New York, Miami, Wilmington, Charleston, and Mobile in 1975. UNIRAC led to the conviction of more than 100 persons, including leaders in ILA. In 1979, SCOTO was convicted of taking over $200,000 in payoffs from employers. Anthony Ciccone became the Gambino Capo and ILA Vice President. In 1981, the Senate Permanent Committee on Investigations held hearings on waterfront corruption. Its report stated, Witnesses testified that payoffs were part of virtually every aspect of the commercial life of a port. Payoffs ensured the award of work contracts and continued contracts already awarded. Payoffs were made to ensure labor peace and allow management to avoid further strikes. Payoffs were made to control a racket in workmen's compensation claims. Payoffs were made to expand business activity into new ports and to enable companies to circumvent ILA work requirements. Organized crime exerted significant influence over the ILA and many shipping companies. Some companies learned how to prosper in the corrupt waterfront environment. They treat payoffs to LCN Las Cosa Nostras esque a cost of doing business. The free enterprise system has been thrown off balance. Contracts were not awarded on the basis of merit. The low bid did not beat the competition. Profitability was not based on efficiency and hard work, but rather on bribery, extortion, and underworld connections. The combination of these corrupt practices was a recipe for inflationary costs and economic decline. Much of the corruption on the waterfront stemmed from organized crimes control over the ILA, a condition that has existed for at least 30 years. The McClellan Committee found that independent unions were particularly susceptible to organized crimes influence because their unaffiliated status made them especially difficult to monitor and police. PCOC reached a similar conclusion. PCOC used Daniel Cunningham's control of the Allied Union of Security Guards and Special Police as an example of how an independent union can become a wholly owned subsidiary of organized crime. Allied was formed in the 1960s by well-known racketeer Benjamin Ross and Genevieve's crime family soldier Joseph Egon. After Ross's imprisonment, Allied presidents maintained the Union's close ties to the Genovese family. In 1974, Cunningham purchased his position as head of Allied using $90,000 to buy out the incumbent's president's term. The Genovese crime family supported him, and there was no rank-and-file vote. In return, he placed the Union's pension and welfare funds at the organized crime's disposal. Cunningham ignored the union's constitution and federal labor law. No elections were held during his tenure. He appointed his cronies to top positions and increased his salary three times what it was. His methods for exploiting the benefits funds included reimbursing his associates for fake expenses, taking kickbacks from no-show employees and from employer and service providers. In 1983, Cunningham was convicted of racketeering, bribery, embezzlement, and obstruction of justice. The PCOC concluded that law enforcement efforts to combat racketeering had been largely ineffective. The PCOC criticized the Department of Labor for failing to work with law enforcement goals, susceptibility to political interference, and failing to effectively enforce the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, the Department of Justice for not utilizing the civil RICO laws, labor racketeering, the NLRB for having no plan on how to deal with corruption, and the IRS for not prioritizing, analyzing, and investigating suspicious deductions and claimed expenses, and finally, the AFL-CIO abdicating responsibility. The PCOC made a ton of recommendations here are just a few. Dealing with entire organized crime families rather than individual crimes. Task forces to carry out industry by industry campaigns. Department of Justice being more aggressive on racketeering. The Department of Labor being more active against racketeering. Congress should make it illegal to sell union office or union members' right to work. Congress should make false reporting of union activities a felony. Congress should demand the Hobbes Act to prohibit violence, regardless of whether a legitimate union activity or objective can be claimed. The AFL-CIO needs to apply its Code of Ethical Practices. The AFL-CIO Ethical committees should be active and meet regularly. Corporations should create and enforce codes of conduct that prohibit doing business with organized crime. Tougher sentences for convicted labor racketeering. We are going to take a closer look at New York City, not that it is the most problematic, but it has the largest number of unions, 350 locals, the most union members, the most organized crime families, 5 and the most organized crime associates and members. New York City is the home to the Genovese, Gambino, Lucchese, Bonanno, and Colombo crime families. Of course, New York City is not the only city with labor racketeering. Chicago is huge, but many other cities have documented records of labor racketeering, including Atlantic City, Boston, Buffalo, Cleveland, Detroit, Kansas City, Miami, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and St. Louis. We are going to take a look at different industries in New York City that labor racketeering has been involved in, in one way or another. The first will be the garment industry. In 1977, the garment industry's leading trade magazine, Women's Wear Daily, called ILGWA Local 102, an active tool of labor racketeers. The president of the ILGWU International Union admitted that we have never been able to control Local 102. The Gambino family leveraged control over Local 102 to establish police and police an employers association, the Master Truckmen of America, MTA. They assigned specific trucking companies to each garment maker. It did not matter if you liked the service or price, and if you did your own trucking, you had to still pay the other company or face labor problems. If a new trucking company started or was bought, the MTA would demand 10% of the purchase price to go to the MTA. If they did not pay or follow MTA rules, Local 102 would strike blocking curbs, preventing pickup and deliveries by that company, even going as far as vandalizing and are stealing their trucks Bolton fish market controlled by the Genovese crime family the largest such market in the united states was controlled by controlling the united seafood workers smoked fish and cannery union due to the high level of competition and time a huge factor it was important to the businesses to maintain good relationships with the union and those who ran it it was important to the businesses to maintain good relations with the union and those who ran it the union had about 900 members such as wholesalers managers supervisors and about 400 journeymen who set up the wholesaler seafood displays negotiated the sales and delivered the fish to the retail purchasers vans nearby in 1995 the irb found that michael had negotiated an agreement with Javits center Employers that made the job of general foreman a non union position, thereby allowing his father, despite his felony record, to do the same job he did before as a union official. IRB recommended he be removed from his position. When he did leave, he received a two hundred thirty six thousand dollar severance pay package. The United Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners, New York City District Council represented approximately 30,000 workers. From the early 1970s, Genovese crime family controlled the district council through its capo, Vincent DiNapoli. The FBI believed that Teddy Emeritus, district council president from 1977 to 1981, was a Genovese associate. A Emeritus, DiNapoli, and others recall prosecution ended in a mistrial. Meredith disappeared the evening before the scheduled retrial, presumed murdered. Dinopoly pled guilty. The international placed the district council under a temporary trusteeship, but it did not purge the union of organized crime's influence. The trustee chose local 608 president Paschal McGinnis, a Genovese associate, as the district council president, who appointed. John O'Connor in charge of the District Council Daily Operations eventually the Department of Labor charged O'Connor with 127 counts of racketeering in 1990 he pleaded guilty to five counts a $25,000 fine and 1 to 3 years in prison in the 1980s commercial waste hauling in New York City's five boroughs was done by about 300 small firms Having one to twenty trucks that together constituted a one point five billion dollars per year industry. Los Casa Nostra controlled the union and the borough based trade associations. The Association of Trade Waste Removers of Greater New York dominated the industry for over thirty five years. James Falla was family capo was the president. The other trade associations were the King County Trade Waste Association ran by Genovese, the Greater New York Waste Paper Association again Genovese crime family ran it, and the Queen's Trade Waste Association ran by the Gambinos. Bernard Adelstein reign began in 1951 when Carlo Gambino, who later became the boss of the Gambino crime family, placed him in. IBT Local 813, which had about 4,000 carting truck drivers. In 1989, Salvador Gravano, the Gambino underboss who became the most famous and productive government cooperating witness of all time, testified that Adelstein took orders from Gambino, Capo James Fala, thus Fala controlled IBT Local 813 while serving as president of the Employers' Association. The Gambino-Genovese and Lucci crime families bound commercial customers to only using a specific carter. No other carter was allowed to solicit or accept a customer's business, and if they tried to use non-union drivers, IBT local drivers would refuse to work for them and strike and or sabotage them. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. If you like our podcasts, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find us. If you would like to contact us, we have various ways to do so in our show notes, along with contact information for the National League of Justice and Security Professionals. Thank you for listening.